Hi, this is Sean Benson from Harvest Church in Warrensburg, Missouri. I want to thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. For more resources, log on to harvestwarrensburg.com. So I have a story for you guys that I want to tell. I was laughing about the, the examples that the Holy Spirit gives me, and I'm like, I always end up referencing, you know, when we lived in India, but I feel like this is another one of those moments where we're going to do it. So um, when, so we, we had Elijah and Eden when we were technically still missionaries in India, and so when they were eight weeks old, we took them back over to India. So we had them here, and then we took them back to India when they were eight weeks old. And... Um, we lived in a flat, which is the entire top level of a, of a building, and below us was our landlord and his family. So he had a son, his wife had passed away, and then they had a girl who helped keep the house clean, and she cooked for them and those kinds of things because they both worked full-time. And so they, um, in India, they don't have prepackaged food. You don't have microwaves, you, or at least they didn't when we were there, and you rarely have electricity. So, you know, those kinds of things those conveniences are a lot harder and it takes about three to four hours to fix a meal because when you have to buy a chicken you buy the whole chicken you don't go and buy pieces of chicken right you know and so when you're cooking rice first you have to take it and you have to throw it and you have to pull out all the rocks that are still in it and then you have to wash it it takes time and so they had a young lady there who um who would do the cleaning and the and the cooking and that kind of stuff for for them and she absolutely loved Elijah. She adored him. And so we ended up, um, she ended up watching him for about an hour a day for us. And um, Sean and I got the privilege of being able to kind of just observe the culture there and watching the way that they interacted with him. And one of the things that they did <laughs> that's very counter our culture was they had a culture of fear that they would put on the kids. So when Elijah started toddling around at nine months old or 10 months old, you know, they would, instead of, instead of being like, oh, he took a step, we're so proud of him, and watching him just toddle around, instead they would literally run behind him going, don't fall, you're gonna fall, you're gonna fall, you're gonna fall, the entire time. And it wasn't just with my child, it was with all of their children, literally the entire time. They would run around behind him in stress, and telling him the entire time, you're going to fall, you're going to fail, you're going to fall. You know, and they weren't doing it out of a wrong heart. They adored him. They were doing it because they were afraid he was going to get hurt. They were afraid he was going to get hurt, but their entire mode of parenting was to, if he got close, they had a little water pond with a, it was tiny, with a couple little fish in it, and um, he would get close, and he wanted to touch the fish, but he was little, right? And so they would, instead of letting him, they would immediately grab him, no! And they'd yank him back, you know, because they were afraid he was going to fall. You're going to fall! And they would yank him back. And I would watch them, and <laughs> actually, he doesn't know that I, <laughs> sorry. He would get so mad at them. And he would, he would look at them, and, and when they would yank him back from things he wanted to touch, you know, he would look at them, and he would, with everything in him, he would go, ah, in their face, just scream, you know, and he had never done that to us, ever. 
He never did that. When we were parenting him, he never, like, from the core of his being, screamed in our faces, ever. And so I would watch that, and I was like, what is it about their culture? And I was realizing it was a culture of control. They were constantly in shame. You're going to fail. You have to be controlled because you are, you are going to, you, you don't have the capacity to have freedom. That was the culture. Now, on the other side, and that might have been the culture for women too, I don't know exactly, but on the other side, our landlord, he was an old man that, you know, like, he was very old for me at the time. <laughs> I was 25, okay? You know, but, but for, he would walk around, he was, um, he was basically retired, and he would, they had chickens in their, in their compound, and he would walk around and he would call the chickens. And so, and, but what I loved about him was instead of him having that culture of control with, just, with Elijah, he would instead just show him a better way. So there were chickens out and he would feed them every morning. So he would, he would take them out and he would call them and, and he would walk around like this. And he had a little rice belly and he would just, and he would walk around and this is what he would do because this is how they call chickens. Oh, oh. The entire time. And so when Elijah would come behind him, we would watch from the, like we would be watching him, and Elijah would be going, behind him, this little one year old just toddling around behind him, you know, with this, calling the chickens with him. And when he would try to pet the chickens, instead of going up and yelling at him and snatching him back and telling him no, instead he would, he would hand him seeds and he would show him, this is how you scatter it. And he would, he would say, be careful. And he would scatter the seeds. And he would show Elijah how to tend the chickens instead of yelling and grabbing him and yanking him back. And that's the picture I want you guys to keep as we talk through this message today. Because one of them is a culture of fear and shame. Because what happens when you're told you're going to fail from the time you start to walk? What happens? We start to fall and fail, right? So the culture of shame that we watched happen over and over in India was tragic. It was absolutely tragic. These children would go through school. They would start school, kindergarten at three years old. The most adorable thing you've ever seen, these little kids and their little girls in their little uniforms and skirts, and they're three, and they're walking to school with their backpacks on, you know, in groups, little groups of three-year-olds running, you know, walking to school. It was adorable, but what would happen is they had a culture of shame and a culture of fear. So when exam time came, and they didn't pass with the grades that mom and dad wanted them to, or they didn't pass with the grades that would get them into the best school, the kids killed themselves. We, the first couple months that we were there, we had to go to a funeral of a family we didn't know, and the incredible grief that we had to watch them walk through I can't even imagine. But it was because, and I don't, I don't say this against that family, there was a culture that had unleashed fear, and those children didn't feel like if they didn't make the grades, if they didn't do everything that was right, they had nothing left. Their life was over. That's what they had been taught. Unfortunately, I believe that's what a lot of our culture does in the church. We have people who come in, they get saved, and we want to run behind them going, 
You're going to fall. You're going to fall. You're going to fall. Stop sinning. Stop sinning. Stop sinning. Stop sinning. You're going to fall. You're going to fall. And they find themselves burying their sin in shame, hiding it deep down and trying to look beautiful on the outside at church. But the entire time they're afraid that they can't move or they can't breathe and that if they continue to fail, there's nothing left. Isn't this the parable of the sower? Like, you know, where he scatters the seed and the seed is received with joy and then the cares and concerns of life. What does it look like when we live as a culture in the church where we constantly are telling them, stop doing that, stop doing that, stop doing that, stop doing that. You have two reactions, okay? You have the reaction like Elijah had when he was little where they turn around and they look at you and they go, ah, I'm going to do what I want. And they move straight into rebellion. And they walk away from the faith because they're so tired of being controlled. That's one of the reasons why we have a mass exodus in our culture here right now in the United States of teenage children walking away from the faith. Because we have controlled and we have in fear constantly told them we've punished them for sin. We have constantly told them, what they're, you're going to fall, you're going to fall, you're going to fail, you're going to fail, you're going to fail, you're going to fail. Oh, we might throw in a little sprinkling of grace. You can get forgiveness, but you have to stop. And I want to say there's something better. Okay? There's something better. We've been talking about identity, and we're going to shift our series from recognizing I shouldn't say identity. We've been really talking about an orphan mindset where we can recognize what an orphan mindset is. And we're going to shift a little bit and we're going to start talking about who God says we are. Okay? And how we need to treat the people in the church around us. How we need to, today, that's what we're going to talk about, how we need to view the culture and the people around us. How do we respond to people in the church as believers? If they are a believer in the church, how should our interaction look when we see things like sin or when we see things like trouble coming for somebody and we, we're afraid for them? What do we do? Today, I, I titled this Digging for Gold, that we're to be freedom-focused. Why is that? Because what you're going to see as we kind of walk through these next, I don't know, multiple weeks that we're going to be teaching, is that what Je- like Jesus in the New Testament, what you see as you walk through that, is there is a call to righteousness. Just like with, to, to say it like this, when Elijah was little and he was learning to walk, they knew in the culture that he was going to walk. But the way that he began to walk was fearful for them. And what I want to do is to show you that Paul didn't respond like that. Jesus didn't respond to the people with fear. He didn't constantly live in fear over the people he was ministering to. Instead, he had a different approach. Galatians 5.1 says, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. It was why? For freedom. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Did he actually set us free? Are we free? Yes, ma'am. Did he just kind of set us free? In theory? Is it a good idea? 
It says, therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. There's another verse that talks about the fact that we can be set free from sin, but then if we willfully go on sinning, we will become enslaved again, right? Okay, so there is truth that we have to walk in freedom or we will become enslaved again. But let's start from the beginning. He set us free. He set us free from being locked into slavery, into slavery, the slavery of sin. Galatians 5, 13 and 15 says, For you were called to freedom. What were we called to? You ever want to know what your, your calling in your life is? It's to walk in freedom of the Lord. It's to walk in freedom in every area of your life. That's what the calling of the Lord is for every single one of us. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, and in the statement, you shall love, the Lord, or love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Okay, and one more verse, James 2.12 says, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. If you read James 2, it's a beautiful statement. It's a beautiful thing on really just understanding what we need to, what it looks like to live in the law, in the law of liberty. But it's, it's, let me break it down really simple to say it like this. We're no longer bound to the old covenant. We've been set free into, we're now bound to the law of freedom. Now, this is where people get upset. And they say, well, if you think that you're free, then people will continue to sin because you, it, freedom is scary, right? <laughs> he, Elijah just got his license. <laughs> his freedom can be scary for me, right? Right? That's, that's what it looks like. He got free from my, <laughs> from my driving him around. And now he's on the road, just so you know. He's on the road. <laughs> But here's the thing, and he's a really great driver, but his freedom is scary for me. Right? As believers, we love people, and when they come into the kingdom, we want them to be able to learn how to walk in the ways of God. We want them to learn how to be able to do things like play in the water in the Lord, right? But we're afraid, and our response most of the time as the church is to run up and to constantly tell them, you're going to fall, you're going to fail, you're going to do this wrong, you are doing this wrong, you're totally not petting that fish right, you know? But here's the thing, they've been set free, not to be controlled, not by the church, but they've been set free and put under the lordship of Jesus Christ, right? Right? And God doesn't sit there and control every aspect of our life. And he doesn't, he doesn't run around behind us telling us that we're going to fall. Instead, what he did was he let us be free. What happened when Jesus healed the ten lepers? He healed them, right? Was there an expectation on them that they only received their healing if they did something for him? How many of them came back? One. One came back. The other nine still kept their healing. They were released. When Jesus healed them, he didn't heal them with restrictions. 
He didn't say, you'll be healed as long as you come back and then you spend your entire life serving me. Now, I'm not suggesting that when we step free into the kingdom of God, that we don't have responsibilities and even have to make him Lord of our life, which means he does get to dictate us. We have talked about, Sean talked about that just the other day of how we've become bond slaves to the Lord. So hear me when I say our freedom is then put under subjection of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. But in the middle, between me stepping into the kingdom and me understanding what it looks like to actually let the Lord lead me, there's a lot of scary stuff that's happening in the middle for us as believers. We're watching somebody who comes into the kingdom. We're like, ooh, I don't know if that person knows that they shouldn't be doing that. I don't know if that person knows. So what's our responsibility as those people, as we were watching people? What does it look like to allow freedom to reign and yet righteousness to be pursued? We have responsibilities, and it's all throughout the entire New Testament. Almost every letter that Paul wrote actually talks to this. You know, but I want you to pay attention to the way that he spoke to people. Where he emphasized, when you're listening to these different scripture verses and reading them with me, is he emphasizing the fear of sin, or is he emphasizing the freedom that they've been called into? Okay, so let's read these, some, these scriptures. This one is, the first one is 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. Now this one is going to be long. It's actually three slides long. So we're going to read it slow, okay? It's more than what they say that we're supposed to read at a church service. So, For it is Christ's love that fuels our passion and motivates us because we are absolutely convinced that he has given his life for all of us. This means that all died with him so that those who live should no longer live self-absorbed lives, but lives that are poured out for him, the one who died for us and now lives again. So what are we not supposed to do? Live self-absorbed lives, right? But we're supposed to pour our lives out for him. Okay, now we're going to move on to the next session. Section 16 and 17 says, So then, from now on, we have a new perspective that refuses to evaluate people merely by their outward appearances. For that's how we once viewed the anointed one, but no longer do we see him with limited human insight. Now, if anyone is enfolded into Christ, he has become an entirely new creation. Let me repeat that. He has become an entirely new creation. The Greek actually says something that we have, this world has never seen before. Okay? All that we all that encompasses a lot, all that is related to the old order is vanished. Behold, everything is fresh and new. That is absolutely beautiful. Okay? Now the next verse is 18 and 19. And God has made all things new and reconciled us to himself and given us the ministry of reconciling others to God. In other words, it was through the anointed one that God was shepherding the world, not even keeping the records of their transgressions. And he has entrusted to us the ministry of opening the door of reconciliation to God. All right, we're going to pause here for just a second. What does it mean that we've been given a ministry of reconciliation? That means that as believers, our job for unsaved people and for saved people is to continue to say, God wants you close to him. God doesn't want to continue to see you in your sins. For somebody who's not a believer, God loves you so much. 
And he gave his life for you so that you don't have to live in bondage anymore. All the brokenness that's in your life, all the things that are being destroyed and devoured by the enemy, God wants to come in and to set you right with him in relationship so that he can have his favor poured out on you. That's what it looks like to the non-believer. And then to the believer, we continue to say the same things because life doesn't become perfect the moment we move into the kingdom. Most of the time, Nothing really shifts besides what happens in our heart, right? We don't really feel like our world might still be falling apart around us, but now we have the Holy Spirit, but it doesn't mean that we know what to do with it when we're babies. Does a baby know how to speak? No, they have to be taught. Baby doesn't know how to walk. They have to be taught. They have to be allowed the freedom to try. One of the other things that the culture would do, especially in the villages when, they had to, when the moms and dads both had to work, is they would wear baby, which we have baby-wearing moms and that kind of stuff. The difference is, is that we also put our babies down, but for them and their culture, because they worked 14-hour days in the fields, they put their baby on, strapped them onto their back, and those babies never got off. So by the time they were three and four years old, they still couldn't walk. They had to start to learn how to walk when they were that age in the villages schooling was a little bit different. They had to learn how to begin to walk at an older age because they had been stunted in their capacity because of the lifestyle of the family around them. Guys, we don't want to do that to our baby Christians. To people who are just coming into the kingdom or those of us who maybe have been in the kingdom for a while but really just got stuck somewhere, we want to show them how to grow, but we don't want to stunt them by not allowing them to try. Failure happens in the kingdom, and it's okay. God's not scared of our failure. He took fishermen and made them into people who changed the world. He sent out the 70. He didn't wait for them to become perfect. Those people that he sent out weren't perfect. He sent them out anyway. Go heal the sick, cast out demons. He released them into the work before they were perfect. We have to do that as well. Okay, we have to look at people. This is, we, we call this, like, I, I was going to title this message, instead of digging for gold, I was going to s- stop seeing dead people. <laughs> but that's the truth, right? I can't, if I look around at these different people and I'm like, oh, well, they sinned, they must still be the old person that they, that they were before they came to know the Lord, I'm still seeing the dead person. That person died. The person no longer is alive. They, the new person has to learn how to live in the kingdom. They, the new person has to learn how to walk before the Lord. And they need the freedom to be able to do that. They need guidance. They need parenting, right? I don't let my one-year-old just toddle out into the street. Okay? There are times when we go back inside, I think we're going to go this direction. Right? This is the direction that we need to go. Hey, you know, when he's when he was looking over the pool, like the little pond, you know, my response as a mom from my culture was to stand near him, let him toddle. And if he ended up face planting into the water like he did in a water bucket when he was little, we walk over and we pluck him back out. (laughs) Shake it off, put him back down, and help him if he needs to be helped. Maybe I stabilize him while he pets the fish, right? But I allow him the freedom. I don't control him. And when he does scare me and fall into a bucket of water head first, you know, 
I don't panic and go up and spank him because he did something that he wasn't supposed to do. He should have known better. He was one, right? We have to view Christians like this. We have to begin to look at our brothers and sisters and to go, the old man died, now you're a brand new baby. You don't know how to walk. You don't know how to live in the world. You don't know how to do things. Eden might kill me for this, but she went and had to go buy something at the store the other day, and there was, the, there was a problem with the cash register. And she felt dumb when they told her that the cash register was broken. But she'd never used a credit card for anything before. How would she have known unless somebody was there to help her? Right? She, there's no reason for us to teach the, the church, the new believers, shame. The term shame on you should never be in our culture because there's no shame on people if they're in Christ. They might, they might sin. Yeah, we do, right? But then we should be parenting around them, coming alongside, edifying and building them up, right? Let's look at this next scripture verse. Colossians 3, 8 through 12. This one also is long, so bear with me. But now you also put them all aside, your anger, your wrath, malice, your slander, your abusive speech from your mouth. Remember, is he condemning them? Is he saying this is who you are? Or is he saying don't do it? Drop it off. It says the, the whole like put them aside actually means to cast it off. Drop it off like filthy, dirty clothes. Drop it off of you. Do not lie to one another since you have laid aside, that's it, I've cast aside the old self with its evil practices, and I've put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created them. Is my mind fully renewed the moment I move into the kingdom? No, I have to learn, right? That's why Paul called them babies. They have to learn how to walk in the kingdom, so their mind has to be renewed. Okay? 11 is, verse 11 is a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jews, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and freeman, but Christ is all and in all. So as those who have been chosen of God, you are holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion and kindness and humility, gentleness and patience. That's who we are. Do you see how he's encouraging and not afraid? He's not going, I'm afraid that you're still angry at each other. Instead, he's going, cast that stuff aside. That's dirty garments. Put on these things. This is who God's called you to be. He's parenting the Colossians. Verses 13 through 17, bearing with one another, forgiving each other. Ooh, we have to actually forgive those of us? Oh my goodness, they might actually sin against me. That's horrible. Who would have thought? Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. The word let means it's possible to do it. He's saying, allow it. Allow the peace of God. If God tells us, if it says it in the Bible that we can do it, we can do it. He doesn't hold a carrot out for us and say, go after peace, but you're never going to get it. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, to which indeed you were called one body, and be thankful. Ooh, we have to be thankful for the people around us. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom and teaching, admonishing one another. To admonish means to counsel or to warn that something is dangerous. 
hey, come back this way. That's a little bit scary. I don't run up and scream, stop, unless you're getting ready to get hit. Right? Otherwise, I'm going, come back. Come back this way. That road's scary. We don't go on that road. Come back this way. This is the way that we're supposed to walk. We're supposed to walk on this small, narrow, hard path. We're not supposed to walk on the wide path that leads us to destruction, guys. That's the wrong road. I think you took a wrong turn. Come back this direction. That's what it looks like to admonish. There's, there's concern. There is concern in the word admonishment. It doesn't just mean, oh, I think you might want to be on this side. No, there's actually somebody coming alongside and going, no, 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 this way, this way. Come on, that side's dangerous. We don't want to go there. You're a new believer. That's not the way we're supposed to walk. There is that aspect in the word admonish. Admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Okay? We're supposed to be encouraging one another going after them and loving them. But it's from a place of going, you're not a sinner anymore. You've, the old man died. Don't pick him up. He's dirty and gross now. He's rotting. Don't carry that old man around. He's dead. He needs to be buried, right? Romans 6 says that he was buried in baptism. The old man died we don't resurrect him. And when we see new beginners beginning to resurrect the old man, we go, hey, that's gross. We don't play with the dead. They breed disease and sickness. They can make you ill, right? But it's true, right? Like if we can get that mindset about what sin is, sin is literally playing in the dead man. That's disgusting. Why would I ever want to do that? But little kids don't know. A little one-year-old wouldn't have a clue, right? Little one, like, have you ever seen a, a little guy at a, at a funeral? They're like poking the dead person, you know? They're asking really loud questions like, why do they look like that? You know, but they want to experience that. They don't have a clue that, that a dead person can actually carry disease and is something that we want to make sure is gone and buried. So when they want to drag their dead person around and they're one, we have to tell them, hey, that's not the way you want to go. Come this way. This is the way to the kingdom of God. This is the small, narrow path that's hard, but we leave that guy there and we can walk in freedom. It's no longer a burden to walk because we don't have to carry the dead guy with us. Our culture, a lot of times in the Christian culture, we teach that our dead man isn't really dead, but that he's still partly alive in us and that we have to spend the rest of our life in a battle. We're going to talk about this not being a biblical thing for the next several months, probably weeks, I don't know. I don't know how long it's going to be, but it's going to be years. But it starts with this, guys. It starts with understanding that when the Bible says the old man is dead, we can trust the Bible. That's what it says. The old man with its nature died. And a new person, a new creation that the world has never seen came to life. And as believers, our job is to go and to admonish people and to come alongside. Okay, let me finish it up with this. How do we do that? We do that with love. And the only way that we can do that with love is that we spend time in community. We spend time getting to know each other. Because if I don't know you and I walk up to you and I'm like, Hey, I heard you say something the other day that was not appropriate, and I think that as a believer, you need to knock that off. 
That's when the response of the ah happens because there's no connection, right? We don't, we don't receive connection from people we don't know. We have to be in the body with the body, building up the body, growing with the body, loving them well, taking new believers by the arm and walking with them in discipleship. This is what it looks like. This is one of the reasons why we're doing the destiny groups is because we're creating a culture where we can walk with people, where we can show them what the way of God is. And for those brand new believers or those of us who've been stuck on the chair for a while and didn't know how to go and felt shame, and so we just went into ourselves and we just hide, that somebody can come alongside of you and go, hey, that's not the way. We don't have to live in shame. There's no shame here. Okay, I have one last scripture and we're going to close. It's Hebrews 10, 19. And then 22 and 25. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies are washed with pure water. Does that look like a fear of sin? No, it looks like a fully free and clean person who's able to walk into the holy of holies boldly right in front of God. Right? That's what we're called into. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another on to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I missed the word near. Sorry about that. This is what we do, guys. We come around, we begin to engage with the people around us. We begin to pull them in close. We spend time with the body of Christ and we admonish and we encourage and we bring them in and we strengthen. What is it in Thessalonians 5? It says, admonish, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak and be patient with everyone. Patient means long-suffering. That one-year-old sometimes needs some long-suffering. Good grief. You keep getting yourself into the, this pickle. What is happening? Let's stop doing that. He, Elijah would take the trash can and flip it over every four seconds. And I'd be like, stop doing that. You're flipping over the trash like, Stop doing that. You know? But I'm not going to put it up on the shelf because he's free. I needed to teach him boundaries. That's what it looks like as a parent. We come alongside and we go, nope, this is the way. That's not what we do. Nope, that trash can's going to stay right there. And this is the way. That's not what we do. That's how we act as brothers and sisters, but it has to happen in community. It can't happen on a Sunday service, right? It can't happen on a Sunday service. Find people, get connected with them, build them up, encourage them, disciple them, grow together, love on each other, be discipled and disciple. You can do it all usually with the same people. If they've been in the kingdom for one minute, they can help teach you something because God showed them something that you might not have seen. All right, let's be humble, guys. Jesus, we just thank you that you have set us free. You have set us for freedom that you set us free. We are no longer controlled by the enemy. Our lives are no longer having to be devoured by the enemy, God. You have shown us that there's freedom and we get to walk in that freedom, God. Let us walk in that freedom with understanding the fear and trembling of of stepping into your lordship, Jesus, knowing that you are God and that we want to please you and we want to do what's right, God. We don't have fear of failure, God. We, we want to just run hard after you because we love you so much. Jesus, we want to shed anything that you don't like.
God, you, we want to shed anything that grieves your heart because you have developed a deep connection with us and we love you, Jesus. Help us to love people really well. Help us to find the gold in them, find the beauty, find what you're doing in them and then breathe on that, God, and help them refine the gold that, God, you've created them to be. Let us be refiners of people. Jesus, we, want to, we don't want to shame people and live in a culture of dishonor. God, we want to shine our light on the gold and then help them refine it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you would like to contact us or would like more information about our church or additional podcasts or resources, please visit us online at harvestwarrensburg.com. We hope to see you soon.